0: Well, good morning, everyone. If you have not been a part of our series entitled, Why Do We Do That?, we're talking about a number of things that we do as a church on a regular basis. Last week, we talked about baptism, and we're baptizing people all the time. And today, we're gonna talk about the Lord's Supper, which we do over and over and over again. And why do we do that? You might've grown up in church where that was always done. You went, well, it's just what Christians do. I don't know. I don't know why we do that. Well, today, we'd like to talk about The reasons why we observe the Lord's Supper. In fact, point A on your sermon notes, your message notes, and if you're watching online, you can go to centeringlives.com and you can download the message notes there. But point A just tells us the number one reason we do this, we observe the Lord's Supper because Jesus told us to. He commanded us to. The Apostle Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed... The Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, agreement confirmed in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Doesn't say how often to do it, but he he does say that we're supposed to do this. And as often as we do, we're supposed to remember him. So today we're gonna observe the Lord's Supper at the end of following my message, but today I also want us to focus on why do we do it so we can really embrace this. There are a number of wonderful reasons why Jesus commanded his disciples, just like with baptism last week. In fact, baptism and communion, depending on where you grew up, if you grew up going to church, it was either called a sacrament or an ordinance, but baptism and communion are two ceremonies, if you will, that Jesus gave us, that he commanded us to do. The apostles told us to do the same thing, and the early church observed these things as well. And so we're gonna do those things. And it's important that we do because they help us picture spiritual truths. Last week, we talked about baptism as a picture on the outside of what's going on inside in your heart. And the same thing is true with communion or the Lord's Supper as we're eating the Lord's Supper together, observing the Lord's Supper, there are spiritual truths being communicated. And today, I wanna talk with you about what those truths are. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I love coming to church. I love coming to worship. But Lord, um, sometimes we do things, and we can do things just because we do them. And I don't ever want that to be the case with baptism. I certainly don't want that to be the case with the Lord's Supper. So today I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way and teach us all something that we need to know about this important observance. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Amen. So this is point B on your notes. We observe the Lord's Supper repeatedly, so we'll never forget what Christ did for us. It's easy for us to forget things. I can't ever remember my Netflix password, okay? Sometimes we forget a friend's birthday. Sometimes we forget something, we go to a store, we're going to pick up five items, and we pick up four. And then I come home and tell them, oh, just to confess to that. Anyway, uh, then i come home, my wife goes, did you get this? It's like, nope, be right back. Okay. And I'm driving again, but we forget things. We get distracted, right? Well, that's why we do the Lord's Supper. We observe the Lord's Supper over and over again. We don't ever want to be distracted from this. This is why Jesus came. So I want to unpack some things for you. First of all, when Jesus took the loaf of bread with his disciples the night before he was crucified and broke it and said, this is my body, this is point one there for you, Christ sacrificed his body and took the punishment we deserve. He was letting his disciples know that he was going to suffer terribly. His body, like a broken piece of bread, would just be put under incredible stress. And the next day when they saw him after he'd been brutally beaten, and a crown of thorns jammed into his head and nailed to a cross and spikes driven into his hands and his feet. And people mocking him, spitting on him, laboring, carrying his own cross to the point of crucifixion. Oh my goodness, they understood with a massive reality check here, this is what he was talking about the night before. But had they known Everything that was going to happen, they would have understood Isaiah 53, a prophecy from hundreds of years earlier that talks about the exact event when Christ was crucified. This is the prophet speaking about the Messiah hundreds of years in advance. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Could we read that much out loud together, please? Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. When we break the bread at communion, or eat of the bread at communion, the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that all of the wrath of God that was due you and me for the wickedness in our hearts, for every careless word, every lie, every promise we promised but never fulfilled, Every time we hurt somebody or refuse to forgive somebody or you go on and on and on, every crime ever committed, all those things, God's anger toward that. If you wonder, how could God let so much injustice go on? Well, injustice will all be punished one day. But for us to be freed from that punishment, Jesus said, well, if I give you all the punishment you deserve, I will destroy you so I will take your punishment on me instead so you can go free. This is a way for God to show that he takes sin very seriously. And so if you wonder how much does God hate sin, look at Jesus on the cross. And that's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the wrath of God that was due you and me was poured out on him instead. I mean, if we stopped right there, that should give us pause. There's a lot more to be said though today. I don't know if you've considered it lately. I deserve what Jesus got. I'm the one who lies. I'm the one who refuses to forgive people and holds grudges. I'm the one who does things I should never do not Jesus, he said, I'll take your place. Father, lay all their sins upon me. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Mm. His body was broken. As often as you do this, as as you eat of the bread, remember that. Secondly, Christ shed his blood in order to cleanse us from sin and make us right with God. So after the meal was over, he took a cup of wine, passed it among the disciples, and told them to drink of it. He said, this is my blood. For the life of a creature is in the blood, this is Leviticus 17, 11, is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. The wages of sin is death, The life of the animal that was offered on the sacrifice was represented by the blood. Without blood, you can't live. And so Jesus, when he died on the cross, said, I'm giving my life. The wages of sin is death. You deserve to die, but I'm going to die in your place. I'll die so you can live. You can have abundant life now and eternal life in heaven. And so he told his disciples, and the next day when they saw the blood flowing from the spikes and from the thorns in his head and where the spear was shoved in his side and there was water and blood. Blunt. When they saw all that, they understood, oh my goodness, he's the sacrifice. I mean, they'd grown up seeing sacrifices where animals had been sacrificed on the altar. And what happened when Jesus died, they realized, oh, he is the sacrifice. I mean, John the Baptist, when Jesus had come to him and said, John, baptize me, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what they were saying. And so Christ shed his blood in order to cleanse us from sin. Hebrews 9.22, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I deserve to die. You deserve to die for your sins. But Jesus said, no, Father, forgive them. I'll die in their place. I'll die so they can live. For everyone has sinned, Paul reflects on this in Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Now, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we're remembering that All the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so we could go free. We should have died, but he died in our place. God hates sin. He loves sinners. That's you and me. Now, one more thing we have to talk about right right from the gate here is this. It's vitally important that we eat the bread and drink from the cup. Jesus told his disciples, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. This is important and there are a couple of reasons why. When I eat the bread and drink the cup, I am internalizing those elements. I need this for me. See, a sacrament isn't something you watch, just watch. A sacrament or an ordinance is something you do you participate in. When you're baptized, you're under the water and you come back up. This is your profession of faith of what's going on in your heart. When we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we're saying, I believe this. I believe that I have been saved from the penalty of sin by what Jesus did for me on the cross. I believe this. Now this is terribly, terribly important that we each do this of our own free will. And in the margin, you can write a few words. God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. I spent time with a couple of my grandchildren yesterday. I loved it. When they're small now, when they grow up, they'll say, well, who's that guy? And they'll say, well, that's my dad's dad. Well, I don't ever want them to say that about God. I would hate that if my son said that about the Lord. Well, who's that? That's my dad's God. Mm Mm-mm. You eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you do. You say, I need this. I am a filthy sinner who needs to have the penalty of sin paid. I am the person who should have been on that cross. I am the one who should have been beaten. I am the one who's mocked others. I'm the one who should have been mocked myself. But Jesus took my place. Praise God for Jesus. The other reason it's important to eat of the bread and drink of the cup This is for people who not only acknowledge that this is true, but they want this. Do you know if you meet a starving man and you talk and you have some bread, he doesn't want you to show him bread. Hmm. That looks like nice bread. Let me explain the nutritional value. Stop talking. Give me the bread. That's what they'll say. And so this isn't just for theological speculation. When you and I come to the table for the Lord's Supper, when we eat the bread and drink the cup, it's because we realize I am not only a person guilty of these things, I am desperately guilty of these things. Lord, if you don't save me, nothing else can. You don't have to tell a hungry person to eat. You don't have to tell a thirsty person to drink. They come freely. Jesus said, if you, if you are hurting... Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give rest for your souls. And if you're here today and you go, I'm so tired of trying to run my life, I've run it into the ground, I need someone who can forgive me, I need someone who can restore me, then come to Jesus. And when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we're just reminding ourselves we came. I don't want to watch other people eat. I don't want to talk about whether the bread's here, better there or there. I'm just going to eat, I want to eat. And today, if you want to celebrate the fact that Jesus has given you new life, that he has paid the penalty of your sins in full, then we're going to invite you to join us. God doesn't have grandkids, and this isn't for people who aren't hungry. This is for people who say, oh, I need this. I'm glad for it. Thank you, Jesus. Point C, we observe the Lord's Supper to celebrate our new covenant with God. I don't know if you caught that, but Paul was talking about that. Uh, and what he wrote in 1 Corinthians eleven in luke 's Gospel, he records it as well when Jesus is serving uh, his disciples at the Last Supper. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. The old covenant was a covenant that God had given Moses when the people were at Mount Sinai, and they were camped out there and they stayed there for about a year and uh, they got their whole uh, organiz- they got their government organized, the sacrificial system organized, all these things done there. But when they arrived there at Mount Sinai, the Lord called Moses up on the mountain and he said, "Moses, prepare the people." In fact, this is from uh, Exodus 19. He said this, Moses climbed the mountain. This is Exodus 19 verse two. Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for the earth belongs to me. And so under the old covenant, God laid out the terms. Here are the terms. If you obey me, I'll be your God. If you are faithful to the things I command you to do, then I'll protect you and I'll bless you. The problem with the old covenant was they couldn't keep it. I mean, we're all sinners. We can make promises all day long and we don't keep them. And that's what happened to the people in the Old Testament. And that's why later in Jeremiah 31, 600 years before Jesus was born, he gave a prophecy that God would want to have, that God was going to set up a new covenant because we're not able to keep the old one. Listen to what uh, the writer of Hebrews says about this. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he's the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, He said, "The day is coming, says the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the people when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I had made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They didn't remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I'll make with the people of Israel on the day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their their minds, I'll write them on their hearts, I'll be their God and they'll be my people, I'll forgive their wickedness, I will never again remember their sins. The Lord says, I'm gonna make a new covenant. Because the old one didn't work. I gathered you together at Mount Sinai, told you what I expected of you, and you said you'd obey, but you didn't. And if you've ever bought a car, you bought a house, they have all kinds of paperwork for you to sign. And they tell you, if you make these payments, then we will give you these keys. If you do not make these payments, we will send the repo man to your house. And they will tell you a bunch of other things about late fees and early payment. And here's how much interest you owe. But this is, if you do this, we'll do that. If you don't do this, we won't do that. That's the agreement. Under the old covenant, this is exactly what was happening. People were told, I need you to keep these commandments. They wouldn't do it. And under the old covenant, covenant, he said, well, then I'm gonna let you offer, I'm gonna let you offer animal sacrifices in your place. Animals aren't one-to-one, you're created in my image, animals are not, but if you'll take the best of your herd or the best of your flock and sacrifice them in your place, and he gave them specific instructions on how to do this, he said, if you will do these things, then I will forgive you. But you're gonna have to repeat this year after year after year. And they did this for centuries. And when Jesus came, he said, I'm gonna give you a brand new deal, a new covenant. And this is exactly what Jeremiah had prophesied. So here are a couple of terms from the new covenant. And there's many more, but here are three that are really important. In the new covenant, we are saved by God's grace, his undeserved kindness. We don't need to earn his love or forgiveness. We don't have to perform a certain way. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul said this about it. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. What's so great is if you go back to where I was reading there from Hebrews 8, the last few verses, it says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, they'll be my people. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. The problem with the old covenant was, we could never make the payments. We couldn't do it. Under the new covenant, the Lord says, I will. i not only make the agreement with you, I'll make all the payments. And you go, John, that's good news. That's what the gospel means. That's good news. I have to give you a new covenant because I'll keep you under the old covenant. You're failing miserably. It'll never work. And so the old covenant shows us exactly how much we need Jesus. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but old covenant, another way to say that is Old Testament. Testament and covenant mean the same thing. Under the old covenant in the Old Testament times, you had to keep the law and we couldn't do it. In the New Testament, Jesus came and gave us a new covenant that's far better. If this is good news to you, would you say amen? Amen. Secondly, in the New Covenant, God gives us the desire and the power to love and obey him. We aren't able to do this in our own strength. So, not only did Jesus come to save us from the penalty of sin, but when we come to Christ, we are asking him to change us from the inside out And we're acknowledging that we are being saved from the controlling power of sin. I mean, think about this. If Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna die on the cross and pay the penalty for your sin. You come to me, I'll forgive all the sins you've given up to that point. Now, don't mess up again. Well, I'd be no better off. I mean, if I couldn't make the payments before, why am I gonna make them now, right? I'm not. I can't change myself. But Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you in heaven. When everything's ready, I'm going to come get you. But until then, I'm going to ask my heavenly father to send the Holy Spirit who will not only be with you, he'll be in you and he'll change you from the inside out. Listen to what Ezekiel said about this. This is another Old Testament prophecy. And I'll give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Some of you have marked that scripture and go, I'm going to read that to my brother-in-law. He's got a stubborn, stony heart. (laughs) Well, your brother-in-law could say so to you, and he'd be right. Do you know what it means when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup? We're saying, God, I need a new covenant. covenant. I not only need you to pay the penalty for my sin, Lord, I need you to give me a heart transplant and free me from the controlling power of sin because my whole life I've developed a lot of sinful habits and Lord, without your help, I'm never going to break them. But here's the good news. When we ask Jesus to come into our hearts, forgive us of our sins, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in, and little by little, day by day, he changes us to make us a little more like Jesus. Attitude by attitude, habit by habit, about our tongue, our temper, our money, time management, the way we think about people of other races. (coughs) I mean, it's a total redo, it's a total heart transplant. This is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Could we read that verse out loud together, please? For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, this time, I want you to say me instead of you. Let's read it one more time. For God is working in me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So when I eat of the bread and drink of the cup, I'm not only saying, thank you, Lord, for what you did in the past. I'm thanking you, Lord, for what you're doing right now. Mm. We went over these three points last week with baptism. We have to understand it. We have to understand these three points, how they relate to communion too. The Lord's Supper. Every time we eat this, this is what we're saying. Point three, in the new covenant, our sins have been atoned for, paid in full, once and for all. Under the old covenant, the animal sacrifices weren't a perfect substitute. They had to be repeated over and over again. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Listen to what he says a little more in Hebrews 10. The old system under the law of Moses, the old covenant, the Old Testament arrangement, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system, goats and bulls and sheep, they were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Perfect cleansing requires a perfect sacrifice, requires a sinless human being to die in the place of sinful human beings. Well, if we're all sinners, and the Bible says we are, where are we going to find a sinless one? Well, that's why Jesus came into the world and he was placed in Mary's womb, so he would be born sinless. We'll talk about more, this more at Christmas time. But under the old covenant, the Old Testament, the priest stands and, the min- and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, speaking of Jesus here, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins Good for all time. And then he sat down at the place of honor in God's right hand. Now, some of you heard me some of you heard me mention this when we talk about this at Easter time, but it's very significant. Every time you read a description of the Old Testament tabernacle, the portable temple, and later Solomon's Temple, there's a great amount of time spent describing the tables, the lampstands, the altars, the knives, the basins, the bowls, all the things that are used for preparing the sacrifices and places to wash and places to offer the sacrifices and things. And they go to elaborate lengths to describe all the furniture in the Old Testament times in the temple. You know what one piece of furniture is never found in a scripture of, of description of the temple? A chair. There were no chairs. You know why not? Because the priest's work was never done. Every time they'd offer a sacrifice, they had to start offering the next one. It's kind of like being a mom making food. That's a different story. Anyway, you know, the food preparation never ends. Never ends. But now listen about when Jesus came. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single fu- sacrifice for sins, good for all time, and then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Why'd he sit down? It's finished. That's what Jesus said when he died on the cross, his final words on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The penalty has been paid in full. Another way you can translate, it is finished, by the way, the Greek word is, it's all one word. Tetelestai is how that's pronounced. It's an accounting term, which means... Paid in full. Right above that, instead of it is finished, Jesus' last words could also be translated very accurately. Paid in full. What's paid in full? The penalty for every one of John Schmidt's sins. Your sins too if you come to Jesus. Now that, my friends, is good news. Not only that. But Jesus said, I'm brokering a new covenant now, better terms. You couldn't keep the old terms anyway. So not only am I going to pay the penalty in full, I'm going to place my spirit in you. The Holy Spirit's going to change you from the inside out. This has to be understood when we take communion together. It's often called the Eucharist. When Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks to God and then he broke it. The word for gave thanks, the original Old Testament or the New Testament Greek word there is eucharisteo, means to give thanks. That's where Eucharist comes from. So we give thanks that the penalty has been paid in full. We give thanks that not only have we been saved, we're being saved from the controlling power of sin. And there's one more to mention. We also give thanks that one day soon, he's going to take us home to heaven and we'll be freed from the very presence of sin. This is what Paul went on to say. One more verse here for you. We'll keep observing the Lord's Supper until he comes again because it gives us hope. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And announcing could also be translated preaching. Declaring proudly. I'm eating this bread Not because this is my dad's God. This is my God. Jesus is my God. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and I am glad that he did. Jesus told me that he was asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit, and I know the Holy Spirit is working inside me. I can tell he's been changing me. And little by little, every day, he's making me a little more like Jesus. And as I eat this bread and drink this cup, I'm giving thanks for that. There's a new covenant, and I know it's working. And as I eat this bread, I'm also giving thanks because one day soon I'm going to be home in heaven where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease ever again. It's all wiped out. We'll have brand new bodies and we'll live forever and ever in the presence of the Lord. This is what we're supposed to be thinking about when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup till he comes again. Romans 8. And we believers also groan as we get older and look in the mirror. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> a little personal commentary there. Okay. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. I do want to be released from sin and suffering, don't you? Hmm. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. He's already got the Holy Spirit working within us. It's kind of like a deposit. But when we get to heaven, we'll have a new body to match and we will never be tempted to sin again. Praise God. We were given this hope when we were saved And if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. This is what Paul's talking about. So we gather together as a church. We observe the Lord's Supper. And we acknowledge that through what Jesus did on the cross, because all the wrath of God was poured out on him so we could go free. And his life was given. He died so we can have abundant life now and eternal life in heaven. We acknowledge that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the controlling power of sin through the work of the Holy Spirit. And one day soon we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Every time we eat and drink until he comes again, we're going to do all three of those things. That's what we need. Now we observe the Lord's server together because we're all part of God's family. We all need this. This hasn't been made clear yet. Let me make it as abundantly clear as I can. All of us are filthy, rotten sinners. You need to come to Jesus. No exceptions. We all need this. And if this is what God has done for you, then you should partake and proclaim it proudly so you never forget. And though we are many, we eat from one loaf of bread, showing us that we are one body. Nick is gonna come out here and lead us in a song of reflection. I've asked him to do this because Paul goes on a little bit more in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and he says something very interesting. This is verse eleven twenty-eight. He says, when you come together and you gather together for the Lord's Supper, you need to examine yourselves. You should examine yourself before eating and drinking the cup. What am I looking for? Well, this. Do I really believe I've been saved from the penalty of sin? Then why do I go around beating myself up and telling people I'm telling myself I'm worthless and I'm stupid and God doesn't love me? Why would I do that? That's not true. And sometimes we do. Do I really believe that there's a new covenant and not only did he forgive my sins, but he is working in me, the Holy Spirit's working in me? Then why would I fight the Holy Spirit if there's an area in my life I need to surrender like forgiving somebody or maybe a habit I need to surrender or I need to get out of a destructive relationship that I don't need to be part of? Why would I be fighting him? And if I really believe he's gonna take me home soon, then why do I live in fear so much? Do I really believe this? We should examine ourselves and ask it. Do I really believe this? Because I don't live like it. Hmm. Maybe I need to surrender something. Or maybe today I need to examine myself because I've just kind of gone through the motions doing this my whole life. I've never even thought about what this means. It's not a game. Jesus really died on the cross for you and me because he really loves you and me a whole lot. So I'm gonna pray for us now. I'm gonna ask Nick to sing a song of reflection, a couple of verses of this. And then... I'm going to walk us through observing the Lord's Supper together. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this table is open to you no matter what kind of church you grew up in. If you've surrendered your heart to him, I want to follow him. And so if on your way in you did not receive one of these and would like to participate, while Nick is leading the song, I'm going to ask the ushers to bring you a, a small chalice here. It's how we do this here. Just raise your hand if you'd like to receive one, if you didn't get one. Just keep them high. The ushers will bring you uh, the bread and the cup. Listen to these words. Examine yourself.
1: Who oh, my heart longs to be purified. Search my heart
0: Father, we've asked you to examine our hearts and Lord, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together now. And Father, we ask you would create pure hearts in us. Oh Jesus, remind us of the great penalty you paid. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for your Holy Spirit working within us in the new covenant. We don't have to be afraid to approach you. We don't have to perform. We just have to come to you. God, I thank you for the promise of heaven. And we'll be home soon. Remind us of these things as we eat the bread and drink the cup together. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. If you would now turn the little chalice so the bread side is facing the top and carefully peel back the lid and take the bread in your hand and hold it. I'd like to remind us that Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in a of me. Eat of the bread and give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. If you turn the little chalice over and carefully peel back the lid, you'll find some grape juice representing the cup of wine that Jesus passed among his disciples. After the supper was over, he took a cup of wine and passed it among his disciples and said, I want you to drink of this. This is for the forgiveness of sins of the whole world. This is my blood. It's a new covenant between you and my Father. As often as you do this, remember me. Now drink. We thank you, Jesus, for new life. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the hope of eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that we will proclaim proclaim this proudly until you come again. And Lord, we pray that if you come back today, you will find us busy serving you. If you come back tomorrow, you'll find us busy serving you. If you come back anytime, Lord, we want to be found busy doing your will. We commit our lives to you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray these things together in his name. Amen.